One of the great old stories from history is the story of Robin Hood and his band of merry men. And there's different versions out there. We don't know all the historical details, but kind of the gist of main story is that uh, good King Richard has left. He went off to fight the Crusades. And so Prince John, evil Prince John, steps into the vacuum and he takes over. And he's evil, he's oppressing the people, he's taking extra taxes from the poor, stealing their lands, taking things from them, living fully for himself. And he's living in the hope that King Richard will never return. He wants to be in charge. But Robin Hood, who is hiding in the woods with his merry band, is expecting the king to come back. So, as the story goes, he's doing good. He's stealing from the rich and he's giving to the poor and he's seeking to make things right in the meantime while he awaits the return of good King Richard. Well, this story illustrates for us two ways of living. We can be Prince John's or we can be Robin Hood's. We can either be Prince John's who live as if the king is not coming back who really seek to make this world completely our home and to do whatever we can to get for ourselves, to be as comfortable as possible, to live for ourselves here. Or we can be Robin Hoods who seek to do our best to steal lives out of darkness and bring them into the light, always expectant that the king is coming back and he could come back at any time. Of course, the end of the story is that King Richard does come back, throws out Prince John, and reestablishes the righteous kingdom. So, these two approaches, we could live like one or the other, like Prince John or like Robin Hood. So the question for us is, what does that look like? If we choose to live like Robin Hood, if we choose to live as though the king is coming back soon, if we choose to live in light of the second coming that could happen at any time. What should our lives look like? What should characterize us as his people who are living expectantly? Well, our passage today shows us 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 1 through 11. And I hope you're with me because I want to live as though he could come back at any time. I want to live in the light of that second coming I hope you do too. So let's see what it looks like in different areas of our lives. If he is coming back at any time, how should we live? First, it should affect our understanding. Notice verses 1 through 3. Now, as to the times and the epochs or seasons, periods of time, brethren, you have no need of anything to be written to you. For you yourselves know full well that the day of the Lord will come just like a thief in the night. While they everyone else, (laughs) while they are saying, peace and safety, everything's great. Destruction will come upon them suddenly, like labor pains upon a woman with child, and they will not escape. Now, Paul says, you know full well, but why does he say this? I think it's because the Thessalonians had forgotten. They were confused. They had some teachers that were teaching them something about the Lord's coming back, that it would be at a certain time, perhaps. On this certain date, he'll be coming back. It looks like in First and Second Thessalonians that some people had quit work. 
because they were so convinced that he was coming back soon that why continue working? So they were confused about it. So he wants to make very clear what the truth is. And, you know, that's been true throughout history. People have been confused about the second coming. And over and over again, people have made predictions. He's coming back on this date or that date. And you know what? Everyone's been wrong (laughs) because we're still awaiting his second coming. So some have said, well, he really did come back, but it was kind of secret. Several religions have said that. Several groups have said that. There's something comforting about trying to figure it out because wouldn't it be nice to know? But as Paul says, nobody knows. In fact, Jesus said over in Matthew chapter 24, verse 36, he said, even the angels in heaven and the Son do not know, but only the Father. You see, Jesus, when he was on earth, didn't know. The angels of heaven don't know that timing of Jesus' coming back. So we need to understand that. We need to understand that we won't know. But he wants us to understand some things about that. So he uses a couple of analogies. First one is the whole picture of a burglar. You see, he wants us to trust him with the timing and he wants us to understand that it's unexpected. So he uses this picture of a thief in the night. The day of the Lord will come just like a thief in the night. How many of you have had either your house or your car broken into? Okay, I had my car broken into. A lot of you have. It's difficult, isn't it? And I'll just bet there isn't a person here that the burglar called ahead of time and said, "Uh, by the way, I'm planning on June 24th, coming in about 2 in the morning, just wanted to let you know. And I'm going to break in the side window, and by the way, I'm going to steal everything of value that you have. No, a burglar doesn't do that. It's unexpected when a burglar shows up. He does it when you are asleep, usually at night, when you're gone, when it's the least expected time and he breaks in and steals what you have, when you're most unaware of what's going on. And he says when Jesus returns, it will be like suddenly like labor pains upon a woman with child. Many of you have had children here. You know that going into labor isn't something you get to choose. And you're not warned ahead of time. For us, one was at three in the morning, another like midnight. You just go into labor and it begins. And he's saying that's the way it is. You do not get to choose. I texted somebody last week, their first baby. Went into labor at six in the morning after a good night's sleep. And then had the baby at three in the afternoon after a couple good pushes, and that was it. And I thought, wow, you couldn't have planned it any better than that. But we don't get to plan, do we? Because labor comes on unexpectedly. And so what does he want us to understand about the second coming then from these two analogies? Well, of course, one is that it will be unexpected. You won't know when he's coming back. There'll be no warning system. There'll be no anticipation. So quit trying to figure it out. That's what he's saying. It will be unexpected. It'll be like those who were hit with the tsunami in Indonesia and Sri Lanka and Thailand when they had no warning system in place. And so all they saw was this wave coming that washed over them and killed thousands upon thousands of people because it was completely unexpected. 
says that's the way it'll be. It'll be unexpected and it will be sudden. You won't be able to anticipate it. And when it comes, you won't have any time to react. It'll just hit you. He says destruction will come upon them. And that's another point he makes here, I think, is that it will bring unavoidable judgment. He says destruction will come upon them, unbelievers, who think they're fine. They're saying peace and safety. Everything's great. I'm doing fine. But when Jesus returns, it will be sudden, it will be unexpected, and it will bring unavoidable judgment on those who do not believe in Christ. So he wants us to know that. He wants us to understand that. We need to know so that we won't be caught off guard. And he says they absolutely will not escape. It's a double negative in the Greek, which means there is no way there will be any escape. The Romans were saying, it's the Roman peace, the Pax Romana. There is an era of peace and everything will be fine. And Paul is saying, no, the Romans don't bring peace. Only the Lord himself can bring peace. And ultimately, when he returns, there will be destruction on those who think they're experiencing peace. So don't try to figure it out. Instead, he says, understand that He's coming back and it will be sudden. It will be unexpected. You won't be able to anticipate it. So live with expectation. And that's what he says next. As he goes on to say, what should our attitude be in light of this sudden, unexpected second coming? What should our attitude be? Verses 4 through 6. He says, but you, unlike everyone else, but you, brethren, you who are believers in Jesus Christ, are not in darkness that the day would overtake you like a thief. For you are all sons of light and sons of day. We are not of night nor of darkness. So then let us not sleep as others do, but let us be alert and sober. He says, we're not of darkness. We're not asleep like the world around us. You see, what he's saying is that the world is unaware. When you're asleep, you're just unaware to everything that's going on around you, right? You're just out of it. You don't see reality. My son went camping with some friends last weekend. And uh, they were traveling to go to Bruno Sand Dunes at one point, And he was having a lot of allergy problems. He'd forgotten his medicine. So they gave him a couple different things to try. Sinus medication. He OD'd on sinus medication. And he was just out. And so they were putting paper in his mouth and playing with him. And he was completely unaware as to what they're doing. He wouldn't even know what happened except they told him and they took some pictures, of course. <laughs> but that's the point that Paul's making. You see, the world around us, because they're unaware of Jesus coming back, is completely oblivious to reality, to what's really going on. So they're caught up in this world. And he says here, but you, brethren, are not in darkness that you should be surprised by what's coming. We are in the light. The light's been turned on for believers. Jesus has said, I'm coming back. The reality is there's a spiritual world all around you. Heaven is another dimension that is around us all the time. Our eyes are open to that. And so we can have a relationship with the living God even though we can't see Him. Our eyes are opened. We're not in the darkness. And so we should live differently than the world around us. We are in the light. So He says, stay awake. Be alert. Keep your eyes open. Don't fall asleep. 
Be ready. We don't need to bump into every piece of furniture because we're not in the darkness. You know, if Christians are living like the world around us, as though, well, what's really important in life is making money, being comfortable, having a nice house, having lots of toys and things, because that's what life's all about, getting status, getting money, getting things. You see, if Christians are living that way, it's like the light's on in the room, but we're walking around with our eyes closed. We're choosing to close our eyes to reality, and we're just bumping into things like everyone around us who's still in the dark. But he's saying, don't be that way. Be alert. Be awake. See reality. That reality is God is present and working in our world all around us. And so we can live in a way that we are awake and we are um, trusting him and living for what really matters, which is his kingdom, which is already present here, but is going to be fully consummated when he returns. And notice he says, verse four, you are not in darkness. But then in verse five, you are not of night or of darkness. In fact, he says we are sons of light, sons of the day. Now, in that in in those writings, in the Hebrew thought and Greek thought, when you say sons of something, it means you're characterized by that. That is your nature. That is who you are. So not only are we not in the dark, but we are in the light, but we are of the light. We're not of darkness. We're of the light. We have the light of Christ in us. You see, we become sources of light in this world. He says, so your attitude needs to be one of expectancy because Christ is in you. His light shines out from us. And as we walk through life, then trusting him, living for him, people around us see that God is real, that he's active because they see something different about us. Well, what should be different about us? If our attitude is expectancy, Lord, come back soon. Lord, you're real. You're, you're involved in this life. I'm expectant. Then what should be different about our lifestyle? He summarizes it in this next section with three basic words, faith, love, and hope. Listen to verse 7 and 8. For those who sleep do their sleeping at night, and those who get drunk get drunk at night. Stop there. He says, again, people who live in darkness, who live at night, do a couple things. They sleep and they get drunk. That's a good summary of what tends to happen at night, right? And he's saying, look, if you're in darkness, then that's all you have to live for, essentially, is sleeping and getting drunk. And if you think about those two things, they're a way of avoiding reality, right? You're oblivious to what's going on. In fact, you're making the effort to avoid thinking about reality. People tend to anesthetize themselves to reality because they don't want to face the reality of this world with all its difficulties and struggles. So he says the world out there is living in this way in which they are living by in sleeping and being drunk. Both of those are you're just doing what feels good. You're doing You're avoiding reality. You're dead to what's going on around you. You're killing pain. You're living by self-protection, self-indulgence. He says that's what the world around us does. But he says, verse 8, since we are of the day, children of the day, sons and daughters of the day, let us be sober. 
Let's not get drunk. Let's not be oblivious to what's going on around us. Having put on the breastplate of faith and love and as a helmet, the hope of salvation. So he says, life being awake is putting on this armor, a breastplate and a helmet. Now, if you see a soldier walking down in Roman times, those would be the two most obvious things that would tell you that person's a soldier. Got a breastplate and a helmet. Okay, you'd see that. It was obvious. And there's things that should be obvious about us as we walk through life that make us stand out from everybody else. And he says, these are faith, love, and hope. How do we stand out in these? Well, let's talk about what faith is. Faith is defined in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, as the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Okay, so faith is the conviction of things not seen. Now, hopefully, most of you in this room have made a commitment to Jesus Christ and you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, with the living God. But have you ever seen him? No. Have you ever touched him with your physical body? No. And yet you live by faith. You believe that he's real. You talk to him. You pray to him. You read his word. You live in relationship with him. That's what living by faith is. It's the conviction of things not seen. Lord, I haven't seen you, but I trust you're there. And I see your hand at work in the circumstances of my life and in the way you change me and in the way you work in other people's lives. I can't prove that you're there, but I know you're there by faith. Faith is the conviction of things not seen. So we live in relationship with the living God. It's opening your eyes, turning the light on and seeing the evidence of God at work in your life and in other people's lives all around you. That's faith. Faith is living in relationship with the invisible God until he comes back and makes himself visible. But Jesus said, when the Son of Man returns, will he find faith on earth. In other words, will we be living as though he's about to return? Will we be living by faith in this relationship, intimate relationship with the invisible God? I love it when I see that, the evidence of that in your lives as I get to know you and spend time with you. And I see people that are making choices to step out of jobs to serve the Lord, to live for him or to care for people, to not be selfish, but to love others, to do all these different things. Because they're living by faith. Talked to a woman recently who was struggling in a relationship. And the world around, around us, you know, if, if God isn't real and he isn't coming back and the spiritual world isn't real, you just avoid that person. But she said, no, God's calling me to move towards this difficult relationship and reach out and seek reconciliation, seek forgiveness, seek to love, to do the difficult thing. Why? Because this woman was living by faith. Following the Lord, seeking the Lord, believing that the Lord is real and therefore I will arrange my life as though He is real. That's living by faith. And that's what the world should see as they look at us. As they look at our breastplate, they should see, wow, there's somebody who believes that God's real, who trusts God with their everyday life and with their money and with what they have. That is living by faith. How are you doing with that? 
how am I doing? We need to ask ourselves, am I living in the darkness and just kind of doing what everybody else is doing, trying to get by or trying to be comfortable or live for this world? Or am I living by faith as though God is real and he's going to return and that's where my reward is and therefore I'm going to trust him and follow him with my life. Then he says we also put on the breastplate of love. Okay, what should characterize us as believers is faith, trust in him, belief in him, and love. This is how we relate to one another, right? We don't act asleep or drunk where we just ignore other people or we just use them for our own ends like asleep and drunk people do. No, as Christians, we seek to share agape love with others. We seek to let God love others through us to reach out and give our lives away for others. And again, I love it when I see Christians do that, when I see you doing that, reaching out to set aside your own interests for the sake of other people. That's a beautiful thing. And the breastplate of love shows up beautifully when we do that. Think of a couple people in this body in recent years, Brad Carr and Brett Molman, both of whom had lucrative positions at Hewlett-Packard, HP, They both quit to go to work for Coal Valley Christian School. Brad, a couple years ago, Brett, last week, (laughs) to give up their jobs, to take much less pay, to minister to people at Coal Valley, to love kids. Why? Because they felt by God that he was calling them to love kids in that way. Isn't that marvelous? You see, that's putting on the breastplate of love. And their co-workers at HP are going, what in the world are you doing? You see, they're light in the darkness. My question for you is, what is God calling you to do to step out and love others? To give up your life for others? To put others first rather than yourself? You see, that's, that's the breastplate of love. That's what the world looks at and says, wow, there's something different about those people. The light of God is in them because they love one another. And they reach out and set aside their own needs for others. How are you doing in loving? Are you drunk? (laughs) Asleep? Or are you fully awake? Believing that God's coming back soon. That Jesus will be back. The third mark is the helmet of the hope of salvation, he says. Hope. What is hope? Hope is this confidence that my deliverer is coming back. He'll be here soon, so I don't have to live for myself. I don't have to deliver myself. Lord, I believe you're coming back soon. And this frees us from the trappings of the world. Frees us to give our lives away, to live for him. Because we believe our real reward is not a here in this life, but it's with him. And he expands on this hope as he, in verses 9 and 10 as he talks about the confidence we have. He says this in verse 9 and 10, For God has not destined us or appointed us for wrath, but for obtaining salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, and here he's talking about asleep being dead, awake or dead, alive or dead, we will live together with him. Now, we all want confidence in life, right? And we all feel inadequate. If we look at our own lives, we say, man, I don't have what it takes. How can I face life? How can I make sure that I'm going to get there? How do I know when Jesus returns 
He's going to look favorably on me. I mess up all the time. But notice where Paul's confidence comes from. He says, God has not appointed us or destined us for wrath. In other words, he says, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, God's taken care of your future. He's destined you for salvation, for deliverance, for life forever with him. And notice who's responsible to get us there. It's not us. It's him. He appointed us. He will get us there. And the proof is Jesus died for us. You see, it's what he did for us that gets us there. It's not us. And this is important for us to remember, to put our confidence in what he is doing in us and through us, not in what we do. Because if we look at our own lives, if I look at my life and really look at it, I'm a mess. I don't have it together. I, I don't love very well. I, I don't have great faith. And yet, if I think about what God's done in my life and what he continues to do, then I begin to have confidence. A friend of mine who was a teacher of mine when I went through seminary, Jack Crabtree is his name, when he got married, or when he asked his wife to marry him, he had a plan all figured out. They were watching a movie together. And he'd gotten a box of Cracker Jacks. Well, he took the prize out ahead of time, slid it open and took the prize out and put a diamond engagement ring in the prize package. And then he sealed it up so you couldn't tell. Put it back in the box. And so they're watching the movie and she played right into his hands, you know. She's kind of fighting him for the prize and he finally gives in. She gets it, she rips it open and it's a diamond ring. See, we're kind of like that paper wrapper. (laughs) There's nothing real special about us in ourselves. But we have the life of Christ in us. You see, that's where the light shines. That's where the beauty is. It's his life in us. And as he begins to live his life through us, then the light's visible. That armor can be seen by the world around us becomes evident. You see, that's real hope. We're just simple containers. And if we look at the container, it's not very great. But if we think about what's inside and that he has destined us for salvation, for life with him forever, then we have hope. You see, and the world is dying for for some picture of where hope is and how to find it. But if we display it in our lives because we have hope, even in the midst of struggle and difficulty, then the light of Christ is visible in this dark world. Yeah, we still struggle. But you know what the end of the story is? We get rescued. And we'll be with Him forever. And that's real hope. Well, he ends with verse 11, where he says this, Therefore, in light of all this, encourage one another and build one another up, just as you also are already doing. See, this world is a hard place to live as a Christian. It is. We struggle. We fight our battles against our own flesh, against the world, against Satan. But our confidence comes because the kingdom of God has already invaded this world. God is at work in us. He's living his life through us. We can depend on him and live by faith and love and hope, eagerly expecting his return when finally everything will be set right. No more tears, no more pain. The kingdom will be fully established here. You see, 
we can live with confidence like Robin Hood, <laughs> continuing to do good, continuing to follow him, continuing to live by faith, love, and hope, confident that the king is coming back and looking forward to that day. But as this verse tells us, encourage one another, build up one another. We can't do it alone. You see, we need one another, don't we? We need each other to encourage us. We need other people to encourage us. And we need to encourage others to keep our eyes on the heavenly kingdom, to keep our eyes on heaven because we so easily get caught up in this world and find ourselves living for what's here instead of for what is to come. So he says, encourage one another. Build each other up. Get involved in each other's lives. Find a place. Find people that God's called you to. And keep pointing out. Look for how God's working in their lives. Look for how God's at work in their circumstances. Look for faith and hope and love that you see in them and encourage that. Hey, way to go. Way to trust God there. Let me pray for you. God's at work in what you're going through. And as we encourage each other that way, we'll be building each other up and we'll be living as the lights that God has called us to live. You see, that's living with eyes wide open. Not asleep, not drunk, but remembering He's about to come back. We don't know when, but let's live like the King is about to return because we're children of light, we're children of the day. So He says, let's live that way.